The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Serves to make me more determined 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. Old-fashioned radio For a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com 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 Hey, welcome back, everybody. My uh, guest this hour is um, an artist, composer, and author. His uh, book tells uh, the remarkable story, and it's called Shine On, the remarkable story of how I fell under a moving train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. His name is David Ditchfield from the UK, joining me by phone. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on, Tom. Good to be here. Now, you don't read or write music, but after your near-death experience, you have composed classical music. And I want to ask you about that, because it reminded me of a of a Three Stooges thing, where I, I think it's Curly comes out of surgery, and the Stooges ask the doctor, will he be able to play the piano? And the doctor says, I don't know, why not? And they say, well, he never could before. Um, have you been, were you a musician before this experience at all, or an artist for that matter? Well, um, in terms of music, I mean, I was like most kids, I picked up an electric guitar and taught myself to play the three chords and uh, off I went. Uh, but, you know, hardly anything to the, to the, to the uh, actual stage of being able to compose music for orchestra. So no, I, I, I mean you need to be really quite highly educated to get to that stage. And uh, I still can't read or write a single note of music notation, uh, but I'm still able to write for orchestras. Um, yeah, in how terms you, of art, uh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, curious, guys. David. How do you how do you write for an orchestra? Because in an orchestra setting, the chart is the art. Are you able to? Um, play i know they have software now is that what you're That's doing right, is, yeah. is playing I, I, a keyboard. i'm using software you play yeah, a keyboard start, and it I, does the tabula tablature and stuff exactly that's what it does um you know when i started my first symphony all i had was a, a cheap old synthesizer and a, and, a, and a little tape recorder cassette and i was just putting all the ideas in and building them up bit by bit. And then my brother gave me this software and he said, look, if you buy a new keyboard, you'll be able to play this in and it will then, you know, uh, sort of uh, write up the notation, as it were, into music file. And so, I mean, I still just hear the sounds. I still carry on working that way. I'll hear like a sound that sounds like a distant horn and then I'll find out that's a French horn that I need and then it, it puts it into the right format for that instrument. Then I print it off. Then I've got all the parts, and then I hand them to the orchestra and hope it all comes together. 
<laughs> and if it has a good conductor, it usually does. Um, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And and the art. Now, I I happen to notice. I think I was poking around online a little bit, David, and I I saw your rendering. I think it was your rendering of Christ. Yeah. And That's right. and it was it was very traditional. Um, did you? Are the things that you do influenced by what you saw during this near-death experience, or are they influenced by your already existing impressions, but you brought the ability to paint them back with you? Yeah. Basically, I could, the, the best way to answer that is, is the paintings is the, fir- is the very fir- first thing that I wanted to do. I was in hospital and I thought, how am I going to tell everybody about what's just happened here and this amazing experience I've just had? And I thought, I'm going to do a huge painting. And I decided I wanted to, to be like those big Renaissance paintings you see in Italy, you know, with all those dramatic biblical scenes. I thought it's got to be like that. So I had an idea that I wanted, wanted it to look that way. So that's when I started painting, I had no idea how it was going to work, how it was going to happen. I got this huge canvas in front of me and I started painting and I realized the ideas were going on to that canvas really quick and really easily. And I realized I was getting help. I was channeling ideas through from somewhere else. So it's, so it's almost like some of those Renaissance painters who passed on were giving me knowledge like a free <laughs> kind of crash course, you know, in how to paint. Hey kid, try this. <laughs> yeah, you know that's it, and, and and I wanted to make it as clear as possible. You know, there was no point for me in doing abstract paintings. You know, these had to be almost like photographic sort of Polaroids of what I'd seen in the afterlife. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make them clear, you know, so that people could understand what was going on. Now, had you done any kind of um, fine art? prior to this experience did, did you no. draw a cartoon when I, was, when I was at school I enjoyed uh, you know painting and drawing like like most kids and and I did show like an aptitude for it or, or not an aptitude what's the word for it I showed a bit of you know light that I could do this but I was stopped pretty early on because because I'm dyslexic uh it meant that that I was graded pretty low and they didn't actually think that I would be able to get into art school because you can't in the UK unless you've got uh, academic qualifications. And I just couldn't get those academic qualifications So I, to, to, to do that. So, so yeah. Um, let's, yeah that, let's, that's as far as it got, really. Let's go back before the experience. Yeah. You got somehow dragged under a speeding train how did that Mm. how did that initially happen basically what happened was i was seeing a friend off at a rail station and um i was helping her on with her bags onto the carriage onto the car and uh um as we said goodbye the automatic closing door shut and my coat got trapped at the bottom corner of it and I couldn't pull it free, you know, it was just trapped in there. And there was no guard on the platform, and so there was no way I was going to get it free. Um, so the engine started to rev up, and then it, 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 it started to pull out of the station at great speed. And uh, I lost my footing, I was dragged along the platform, and then was sucked in between the edge 
of the platform and the speeding train. I went underneath the wheels and and you know it was, it was like it was like being pulled into the into the you know, the depths of hell. It was it was just a a really horrific uh, and painful experience. How how long were you aware? How long were you conscious that you were being dragged or? Did it happen so fast that the next thing you knew you were composing symphonies? Um, well, I was fully conscious throughout the whole thing, you know, when I was Ooh. when I was pulled under. I, I didn't have the near-death experience itself until they actually got me off the track and in, uh, into hospital. It was when I was in the emergency department uh, that I was losing copious amounts of blood that I was getting very near to the edge of death, you know, that, that that's when I left my body and had... Uh, a near-death experience, and, and it was um, from blood loss, not necessarily, um, yeah, yeah, internal that's, that's, other kinds of injuries. Well, yeah, there were internal injuries actually, because I, I and which they didn't realise until later on. You know, um, only recently I, I had to go into hospital and they had to operate on me because uh, uh, there were some internal injuries that caused bleeding, and uh, yeah. So that was so yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it was pretty serious. You know, it's just going under a train's pretty. It's a big one, um, but ultimately, I I do think that I came out of it really well. I could have, uh, well, I, I could have died. I mean, quite frankly, you know, the UK Rail Police did a massive inquiry. It took them a year to in, do an inquiry on this whole accident, and they said afterwards, they said, "Well, we've finished everything now," and they said, "You know what? We're banging our heads together. We don't." know how you survived this we've done all our figures and calculations and you should you should be dead <laughs> so something greater than the, all of us you know, a greater force um, saved me that day more about his near-death experience as told in his new book shine on with david ditchfield straight ahead Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. 
The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about his near-death experience as told in his new book, Shine On, with David Ditchfield, straight ahead. When you were being treated and and you were losing all that blood, yeah. you lost consciousness or or your consciousness was altered um you you call it a near-death experience but you also refer to it as having been to the afterlife um were you clinically dead at some point no i wasn't clinically dead um um, but I, i also it's um important for me to point out that that having a near-death experience doesn't actually mean you do have to be clinically dead. You know, um, as a lot of people are, like in my situation, you know, coming very near to it, very close to it, hence the phrase near-death experience. And um, it, everybody who's had one has, will have a different story than mine, but there's, there are so many similarities, you know, and and everybody will say that they, they feel that they, they literally sensed and um, went through and visited the afterlife and, and and 
picked up the knowledge and the, what they saw, which is very profound, and, and brought it back with them. Uh, uh, but so. often it's someone has has died and is yeah. is clinically dead for I don't know two minutes, three minutes, ninety yeah. seconds, sure. or something, and mm. then they come back and they refer to that even still as a near death experience. Oh and, yeah, absolutely. and and yeah. so I'm I, I'm trying to get some sense. Did you? Um, see what what others have reported uh, a light you know at the end of a tunnel or yeah did I you did, peek yeah. over a fence into heaven <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> you know what what did you or, or do you remember exactly what you saw are they oh, are they clear images david they're very clear they they i describe them as being ultra real you know it, it's as real as i'm sat here chatting to you now you know, it's not like a dream state. It's a it's a very very clear and real situation. You know, I sensed that it was me that was in this other realm as well. That it was me that was there. I actually thought that I was dead. I thought I died uh, when I got there. And some people resist it and try to come back because um, I got a lot to live for with their kids and stuff. But I didn't want to die. But what I'd just been through was just so hellish that it was kind of good to uh, to be in this beautiful space because. Being there is just the most wonderful experience, you know, and uh, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, you, you know, I was greeted by uh, by angels. I was greeted by uh, you know light beings that were that were healing me, uh, that were healing all the all the wounds that I just suffered to my body, but also healing all the years of uh, of pain that I that I've been through because we all suffer pain throughout our lives and emotional pains. I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, uh, at, you, at the very end of the whole near-death experience itself, that's what I saw was the tunnel of white light. And, and it, when that approached me, it was a, an incredibly intense moment because I can remember feeling every molecule of my body vibrate with the sensation of love. And the tunnel of white was a, very vast, it was huge, and it was... Um, Surrounded by flames that were slowly circulating around, which is, was very uh, dramatic in itself and awe-inspiring, and I just thought, "Wow, uh, what I'm looking at here—that this is the source of all creation." You know, this is not the image of God that I always thought God would look like. Um, you know, in in a human form. You know, in Christianity, you know, with the with the long beard and what have you. No, this was this was God. This was the the tunnel of white light. Was that was it where it all starts? So um, yeah, you do. You come back with a sensation of um, of being to, to a wonderful, that knowing that the soul lives on, that this is the next stage of, of death. You know, where where when we when we all die. So we don't just end up in the ground and in worm food. There is a consciousness no. beyond corporal death. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. It's uh, you know the the, the body uh, stops and 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 decays and dies, um, but the actual soul is such a powerful entity to the soul that it that it clearly lives on. It it moves on to the next phase. You know, um, it's a bit like you know birth and death are really they're they're quite traumatic incidences in themselves. You know, birth is quite a big thing, isn't it? You know, it's not that easy. Uh, but neither is death. Um, you know, just um, you know, I lost my father 
um, six weeks ago, and uh, I was mm, there sorry. for the last few. Thank you, <laughs> and uh, I was there when he was dying, and uh, and I realised just how hard it, and traumatic it was for his soul to to leave his body. You know, he'd had enough. He didn't want to live anymore. He actually said that, but it was a struggle for his soul to leave and, and move on to the next phase. But it was a comfort to me to know that once he did die, even though I miss him dearly and I'm mourning him now. Um, I knew that he, he he was in this beautiful realm and that's where he was moving on to. So it's a comfort for me to know that. And uh, yeah, David, some people have described leaving their body and actually looking down on themselves as they're being worked on. Mm. Did you have an experience where you felt like you physically left your body or did this all go on inside your conscious consciousness? As I said earlier, earlier too, it is very much a real experience where it was me that was there, that was in this realm, that it was a three-dimensional place. It's totally different than this realm that we're in on the earth, you know. Um, the, for example, time didn't, did not exist there. You know, there was no past, uh, there was no sense of that, or there was no sense of future. You were just in the moment, you were just in that one place, and that was a beautiful thing that I brought back with me was to, to know that, that to be in the present moment is the best possible place because you, all your fears and anxieties disperse from you. But it was very much me that was there. And um, interestingly, all my wounds had healed as well. When I looked, cause I looked at my body to check and, and uh, you know, my, my left arm had been uh, severed in the accidents, but suddenly it was there and it was all fixed. And there wasn't even, there was no scratches or bruises. There was nothing, you know. And um, I did actually think about looking down into the hospital, not to look down on myself, but to look down on my family because they, they've been surrounding me and they were pretty distraught as it was. So I figured, well, they're going to be pretty cut up now because I'm, I'm dead, you know. Um, but I didn't actually see them. But what I did see when I looked over the edge to, to, to hopefully look down into the hospital was something that was really quite amazing. It was, it was like a huge waterfall of stars uh, the size of Niagara. And all these stars, millions of stars were cascading over the edge Instead of tons of water, there were just billions of um, stars or sparkling shooting stars for, falling over the, over the, over into the middle. And as I looked down, I felt that I was looking down into sort of like one galaxy into the, into another. I was looking into infinity, into beautiful colours and orbs. And of course, I realised that basically I was in the universe itself. You know, there was a very much a sense of that, and I was very much a part of that universe. This is amazing, David. Um, when you woke up in the hospital after you had been treated, after you had had this experience, was it a clear memory or or were there fuzzy edges to it? The, the way we try to recall a dream, for example. Mm. Um. There were no fuzzy edges at all. No. I mean, when you woke up, David, did you think, wow, I just went to a really cool place? Yeah. Or how, was, how did the yeah. realization come to you is what, what I'm trying to get at. When, when, I, when I first 
came crashing back into my body as I, as I describe it. All the pain came back and I was in a hospital and all of a sudden the, the bright lights and the noise were, were overkill. But, um, and people say to me, oh, you must have been disappointed so coming back. I said, no, I was just filled with all this love and energy that I just received from that other realm that I just couldn't wait to tell everybody about it. And uh, in fact, my friend who I've been seeing off on the train was stood right next to me and I started to tell her, she said, no, stop, you know, you, you, you tell me another time, you know, you're just about to go into surgery now. And so it, it was when I came through from, I was under for about eight hours for the first lot of surgery and I remember being in this hospital room on my own and part of me was contemplating what had just happened, you know, the, the horror of that whole accident, you know, I'd got post-traumatic stress disorder, but... The biggest part of me was thinking, wow, that was amazing what's just happened to me. And I've never forgotten any of it at all. You know, unlike a dream state, which is fuzzy and, and, and confused and changes over, over the years as you described the, that dream, this stays with you and it's as clear as, as, as now. Um, because it's such an, a, a profound moment to, to go through the, and it's life-changing. It's life-changing for everyone who's had them. Yeah, it's it's very hard to walk away from it. Were you predisposed to walk away from that experience with new gifts and talents? I mean, were these... I, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this question, David. Did you go... Did you end up wanting to bring things back from there? I I had no idea what my um, sort of mission was going to be, if you like. You know, that's the first thing I thought to myself: Why have they sent me back? What am I supposed to be doing now? And and I and I knew that I needed to do something positive and bring because I just brought so much positivity back. And first of all, I thought I was going to be a healer. I thought I was going to be helping people, you know, physically. Um, but that wasn't the case. And, and so. Once I'd started doing the paintings, I realized that, that I was communicating to a lot of people through my paintings and my art what I'd just seen, and people wanted to know and hear about it and listen. I thought, this is great. And then the music came second. You know, that was, it's not like I, I went out there and thought, right, I'm going to do music now. It was just kind of like, it, it just, it was all part of the journey, part of the process. And um, I started composing music, and I didn't even know I was going to compose music for orchestra and that just came about and once that first piece was performed it was performed to a sellout uh, audience you know um, I was being helped all the time I felt that there was this this other realm that the guides and the angels I've been there with were behind me and still are you know and they made that concert happen uh, they made it sell out in advance you know which was amazing because the BBC suddenly got hold of my story and wanted to come and interview me. So once that happened, of course, that was it, you know. Um, uh, uh, which was great, because there was no sense of ego. There was no sense of great, uh, you know, my first concert has sold out. There was more like a sense of, wow, this is brilliant. There's going uh, to be more people there in that concert hall who are going to get what I'm talking about and experience what I did. So, And many people did. Many people re relate to both dimensions of, of my art and my music and, and try and understand what I've been through and, and, and can, you know, and it resonates with them. 
Before the event, David, did you consider yourself a creative person? Um, as I said, when I was younger, I did. Uh, but that, that was kind of taken away from me, and I was guided to, by my teachers and, and career advisors that you know I was going to be doing manual work um, because of my lack of qualifications. And that's what I was doing for, for many years, and I was no good at that work. You know, I was working on construction sites in the end. I'd moved to London, and I was just picking up day-to-day work. And I was not... Uh, so I wasn't picking up that much work because I just was not very skilled at, at that kind of stuff. So I did reach a, 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 a low point just before the actual accident itself. I was like running out of money. Uh, I got, um, you know, sort of an eviction notice on my apartment. And I was down to my last £10, you know, when I, I went to stay at my sister's for a few weeks. And that's when the whole accident happened, when a friend had come to visit. So it's it's almost like, you know, yeah, it was an awful thing to go through, but... It's almost like I was given a second chance. It's almost like my life just simply wasn't working for me, and I was given a chance to turn it around, you know. Well, it's almost like you got a do-over. Um, I'm not very familiar with the U.K. healthcare system. Is it is it universal? I mean, did you have to be concerned about expense and, and money and so on with your treatments and surgeries? No, um, thankfully we have um, the NHS system, which means that, uh, you, that you don't actually have to pay for, for any private health care. And so I was, and also not only that, I was, the hospital that I was treated in was like one of the top hospitals in the country because it's like a university hospital and it's well funded. So I was, yeah, I was very well looked after. So thankfully I didn't have to worry about that side of things. How did the uh, the idea for the the book come about? Well, I'd always wanted to write my story in a journal, you know. But I, but again, being dyslexic, I thought that's never going to happen. I can't pull that one off. Um, then again, synchronicity came in, uh, in into my pathway. I, I met up with an old friend I hadn't seen for years, and she said, "Oh, you know, when are you going to write your story?" And I said, "Well, I can't, can I? I'm dyslexic." And she said, well, how about I work with you, you know, and I'll co-write this with you. So that, it was just going to be a journal to start off with. And then we thought, no, we should try and get this published. And again, synchronicity sort of came my way. And, uh, and a publisher appro- approached me and said, look, I've just, got my, I've just given the manuscript of your story and I love it. Can I take it to my team? I said, yeah, of course. And so they and they all agreed they wanted to sign it up and, and they were behind it. So the book came out. And um, Dr. Raymond Moody, who, who actually came up with the phrase near-death experiences, he's, he's one of the top researchers who's been researching them since the 1960s, um, got a hold of uh, the manuscript as well. And he loved it. He loved the story. And uh, his manager said, oh, Raymond's, just read your book and uh, he's he's going to write a forward for it and i said wow that's amazing so that kind of helped things kind of like again sort of uh bring you know people to its attention so yeah so it's been really well received which is great so it's it's, it's again it's that's a, that's like the next dimension if you like because putting the book out uh, has reached out to an awful lot of people because it's worldwide now and uh, not only that i've been talking to a lot of people like yourself in various countries and, and being able to interview and chat about my experience and uh, and 
and, and, and reach out. Yeah, that's that's the whole goal. Have, have you been um, interviewed by researchers like Dr. Moody about your experience as part of their research? Um, we are planning to do something, actually, yeah, this year. Um, I mean, he's actually talked in his lectures and, and online uh, talks uh, about my book, you know, he's, he's brought it into his conversation. And there's been, there has been, a, there's been another couple of university lectures as well. There's a, a university lecture in, in psychology in the UK is one of the top ones who has just written a book himself and he's featured about, there's about five pages uh, on my story and that's coming out in October. So yeah, there's, there's, it's been taken very seriously. Near-death experiences are being taken very seriously now, which is really good. You know, you know, there's a lot of scientists looking into it and finding out, you know, a bit more about it because there's so many people reporting them. Well, and because that's a question that every person who walks the planet has, you know, what, exactly. what, what, what's next? And, um, now, because you remember these experiences in such a visual way, can you imagine this story on on the uh, big or small screen? Well, that's the next uh, stage, actually, that, we're, that uh, I'm looking at with my co-writer is to actually, because so many people have said this this is a, this is like a really sort of Netflix cinematic sort of story, you know. You well, it does it lend itself to that, David. <laughs> it does. Because I think because of the drama of it all, you know that that you know it's 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 the one thing. Even Dr. Raymond Moody even said it himself in one of his his lectures that I saw online. He said that this is everybody's worst nightmare is going under a train. You know, he said he stood at the edge of, of a platform at times when a train's coming in. You get that feeling of like, what if I went under now? You know, and but not only that, I think you know going from from being my life going so terribly wrong and then suddenly it all turning around and being, you know, having sell-out concerts and, and writing music for orchestra and, and things like that. It's 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 quite a thing. It's, it's a feel-good story and, and that's what I want it to be. I want people to to be able to look at it and think, yeah, that I can that resonates with me and I could turn my life around, you know, because we all can. So, yeah, I think it could make a good Netflix well, the name of the book is Shine On, The Remarkable Story of How I Fell Under a Moving Train, Journeyed to the Afterlife, and the Astonishing Proof I Brought Back With Me by my guest David Ditchfield from the UK. Hey, David, thanks so much for spending this time with me this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tom. Thank you for having me on. David, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, your story, your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website? Yeah, sure. Uh, the website is called shineonthestory.com. So, yeah, shineonthestory.com. And you'll get everything there. You can listen to my music for free, the first symphony that I wrote. Anyway, you can you can stream that for free and look at the paintings and, and follow me on social networks and stuff, you know, social media, sorry. Then you can see what's coming next, if you wish. Yeah. Well, we're we're actually pre-recording this interview, which is a little bit inside baseball. But um, when I play it back, I'm going to include some of your music, um, if you don't mind. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Um, would you like me to send you the MP3 files? If you could, that would be wonderful. I I was of poking course. around on YouTube earlier today and 
had an yeah, idea how I might do it. But but if you could send no, me no, MP3 no, files, no. that would be even better, yeah. David. I would appreciate uh, of it. Of course. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Yeah. Anyway, we're uh, we're out of time, but but thanks again for spending this time with me and sharing your story with me and the listeners, and and also in uh, in this new book, Shine On. Um, David, keep up the good work and be well. I will do. Thank you, and you too. And uh, I'll get that stuff to you. And let let me know in advance when when it's going to come out, and if then I can start you know putting it on my social media over here so people can tune in because there's quite a lot of US followers. Okay, so I, I, will do, hear it. Yeah. I will do that, David. Thanks again. Lovely. All right, Tom, have a good day. All right. That was David Ditchfield. He is the uh, author of A <laughs> True Life Experience, Shine On, the remarkable story of how I fell under a moving train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. We're going to take a short break. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight up. Every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Armchair Politics is going to hell. 
Helm, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Helm, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. But Old Weird Harold and I, Old Weird Harold, we called him that because he was 6'9", weighed 50 pounds. We used to use him to get the football out of the sewer. We used to go to every Hiram picture in the world. I'm telling you right now, we would go and we would see Frankenstein. We'd walk a hundred miles to see Frankenstein. And mind you, we never saw the monster once. Never saw him once, because we were too scared to look at him. And we had the best seats in the movie. We used to sit right up front. I mean, right up front. That's where you can see everything. You just look right up front there. And we'd say to each other, you gonna look at the monster this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't lie now. If you're not gonna look at him, say that. You might as well get right on the floor now if you're not gonna look at him. You didn't look at him the last time. Yes, I did. Don't lie. Put it on. Oh, look out. That's where we stayed for 12 days. Used to go home with 100 black juji fruits all on our backs. Yeah. So... My mother, we used to stay over and over and over trying to get to see the monster, but we couldn't do it. We were too scared. And my mother used to come for me. Would you come home? Get up off the floor and come home. You know, and the guys would rise. Hey, cause your mom came for you again. You shut up. So my mother said one day, she said, I'm not coming for you. That's all. You know, you'll come home yourself. Walk under 9th Street Bridge in the dark by yourself if you don't know how to come home. Oh, mom, you'll come home for us. So... We were watching this one picture, and it was, it was a heck of a picture. It was one of the, one of the greatest. They, they had uh, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, the Hunchback, the Mummy. Everybody was in it, and Harold and I stayed on that floor. Our eyes were closed all day. We never came up one time for air. Every time there was somebody on that screen, we didn't want to see. The Mummy's in there now. Oh, we don't want to look. We don't want to look. And we sat through about 12 showings of the same picture. You gonna look this time? No, get up off the floor. No, I ain't getting up nowhere. It ain't gonna get me. So, finally, during the cartoon, I got up and I looked around. And I said, hey, Harold, there's nothing here but grown-ups. And Harold said, yeah. Because that's what he always says whenever I'm right. He's my closest friend, you know. I said, ask that man what time it is. Hey, mister! What time is it? It's 10 o'clock. Oh, Harold. Oh, Harold, we're in trouble. 10 o'clock, yeah. 10 o'clock, that's when the monsters come out. And my mom didn't even come for us, man. Well, she said she would, yeah, but she's supposed to come for us, man. She's supposed to let us go home at 10 o'clock with all the monsters out of thing. Man. And we walk out of the movie crying, oh, we got out of 10 o'clock. Now, the walk home, Ninth Street Bridge has no lights whatsoever, which is highly, well, it's the only way to get home. And we are sick. You're talking about two scared kids just walking, you know, arm in arm, not even picking our feet up off the ground because we want to be ready. If the monster touches us, we want to be ready to jump straight up to heaven. When you pick one leg up, you take a chance on going sideways. 
You know, when we got on late, we just dragged, sending our toes out six feet ahead of us like radar. Kids coming, kids coming. And I'm telling you, really scared, ready to go any second. And I bumped into Harold. Bump. I said, Harold, did I bump into you? Harold said, no. I said, don't lie to me now, Harold. Because if I bumped into you, say that I bumped. Even if I didn't bump into you, Harold, say that I bumped into you. Because if I didn't, we're going to get eaten alive. You know that, don't you? Harold said, well, you bumped into me. I said, okay, don't lie anymore. Now, I don't know the name of the wino that came out of the alley that, that uh, emptied onto the Ninth Street Bridge. I don't even care what the guy's name is, man. All I know is that he was wrong. That's all I can say. He was pure D wrong. You just don't walk out of an alley that empties on the Ninth Street Bridge without making some sort of announcement, warning little kids. Look out, little kids, coming home from the Ashton movie after seeing a whole lot of horror monsters. There's just nobody that can hurt you. It's just a little old wino. And he came out. Now, I'm sure while filling out the accident report on this man that the doctor said, what happened? I don't know. It was just four feet, ran right up my chest, danced on my head for a half hour, and then ran straight down my back, doctor. Well, did they say anything? Yes. They said, ah! Did you see them at all? Yes, it was a little kid riding on top of a tall skinny one, and he was beating him with a stick saying, faster, faster, you fool, you fool. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.